Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that on this day, we as your people celebrate, rejoice, and remember that when you died on the cross, you paid in full the price for our salvation. You were judged for our sins. You paid a debt that you did not owe. We owed a debt that we could not pay. But you carried it upon yourself and you bore the wrath of God upon yourself so that we might go free, acquitted of all charges. Today, together in your presence, we stand free, we stand faultless before the throne of God. Oh, and our praise and our adoration and our worship might, in light of what you have done, seem pitiful. In light of the great sacrifice that you made, our praise and our thanks seems so small. And yet you love to hear it. You love to hear the praises of your people. And we've come together today in this place to say thank you. We've come today together in this place. Whether we're here physically or we're watching online collectively together as your people, we are here, oh Jesus, to say that we will be eternally grateful, eternally grateful to you, Jesus. And all of heaven will praise you. All of earth will worship you. And no wonder, no wonder you've been given the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. They might not be bowing at this moment, but one day, Every knee will bow. That's what your word tells us. And every tongue will confess. In heaven, in heaven they will gladly declare it. On earth they will have to honor it and announce it. And certainly in the underworld it will be declared that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everything, church, with a voice. Everything with a sound will proclaim forever that Jesus Christ is Lord. We're all moving to that moment. We're all moving to that final moment where Christ will be crowned as Lord of all. Hallelujah. We're moving toward it, and what a glorious moment it will be when everything in the universe honors Him and pronounces Him as Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give Jesus another wonderful thanks and praise. We honor you, Jesus. We praise you. We praise you and applaud you and thank you as your people. You may be seated. Well, what an amazing morning.
this is. All of these bags, as Faye has already mentioned, means that God places in our hands to take to a world that might never have known the love of God. In their experience, they may never have known in their understanding that God is trying to reach out to them through Jesus Christ to have a wonderful relationship with them. These are the means that we can take. These are the means that we can use. And I love it. We'll use anything and everything just to communicate to a lost world that God loves them. Just to communicate to a a world that has no hope, a world that is shrouded in darkness. We will use anything that we have especially chocolate. We'll use anything just to communicate that God loves our world. Hallelujah. And He reaches, He reaches out to it every moment of every day. And He uses our lives. I tell you, your life is precious. Your life is important to God. It has a purpose within this world. And one of the main core purposes of your life and my life is to take this wonderful good news. It's good news, the good news of the gospel, and announce it. Announce it to a lost and a dying world. Paul, the apostle, said that he became all things to all men that he might win some. That means this, he just used anything within his means possible just to communicate to people that God loved them, that there was good news, good news from heaven, that now man could have relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I tell you now, if Paul used all means available to him to communicate to his world, the good news of the gospel will use all means available to us too in these bags. So, please, as Faye mentioned, take three, four, five bags. Let's not leave any. Let's not eat. And, you know, don't eat them all. We, we will know. Listen, we will know if you've eaten five bags of chocolates. If you're rolling in here next Sunday morning, you won't be able to hide it, you little tinkers. You will not be able to hide it. So, listen, just, just be a blessing. Just be a blessing. If, if any of you can eat five bags of chocolate, then good on you. But just be a blessing. Be a blessing to people and just gift them with that. And um, we pray that just the, the simple seeds of our actions will lead people to that same moment that precious moment that each and every one of us had, that wonderful first introduction to Jesus as Savior. That's what we want. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And um, let's believe that God will just take our actions and bless them and make them, make them fruitful. Amen? Well, as you may remember a number of weeks ago, uh, just to let you know, we went to France last week. And uh, you had an amazing service here. And uh, people baptized, absolutely wonderful. And Paul preaching, prepare the way of the Lord. Amen. Wonderful, wonderful blessing to you and to the church here. So let's give thanks to God for the voices that he raises, raises up from our own family. But the week before, before last, you may 
Remember, we started a new series of messages that we're calling The Great Exchange. And we began to look through Ephesians chapter 1, picking up on seven words that Paul the Apostle used to describe our lives as a result of being in Christ Jesus. Let me just quickly remind you as we begin this morning, firstly, what Paul pronounced over our lives and announced in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are in Christ. In Christ, he says, we are saints. We are saints, not sinners. Secondly, through that chapter, he tells us that we are blessed. We're not poor anymore. It's a it's, it's from rags to riches. It's a transformation that's dramatic, that's taken place in our lives as a result of being in Christ Jesus. You are blessed. You're not poor anymore. Then thirdly, as Paul goes through, down through that chapter, he assures us that we are chosen. You're chosen. You are chosen. By God. Your life is not an outcome of chance. You are chosen by God Himself in Christ Jesus. And then as a fourth point, Paul continues by telling us that in Christ we are sons. We looked at that. We're not illegitimate. We're not abandoned. You and I have a, a relationship with God. He's our heavenly Father. And each and every one of you that have accepted Christ into your heart, you've placed your trust, right? You've placed your, your trust, your simple faith in Jesus. Each and every one of you by experience can testify to that. If you are a believer here this morning, I'm just... I, I, I'm declaring things over you that you would be able to attest to in relation to your life experience. I can tell you, I can tell you that Jesus Christ is alive. I can tell you. How can I tell you so assuredly? I'll tell you why. Because I had a conversation with him this morning Amen. and last night and on my, on my way home from France. I'm telling you, I have a relationship with God as my Father through Christ Jesus, and each and every believer in Christ Jesus. It's not an argument to, that, that I have to prove. It's not an argument that I have to win. I have a relationship with God as my Father. I enjoy that. I relish in that. Because, as Paul rightly says in Ephesians chapter 1, I'm a son. We're sons. We're not illegitimate. God is now our Father. Then fifthly, Paul confidently declares in Ephesians 1 that in Christ we are forgiven. I'm not going to sing the song this morning, even though you really want me to. I'm not. I'm going to resist that temptation. We are forgiven. One of the first things that I remember when I just 
just gave up the struggle between me and God. This tug, and t- tug of war struggle had been going on for, for, for years in my life. Did I believe in God? Am I going to accept Him into my life? I was at war with God. I was at odds with God. Do you know, I knew that as a 15-year-old kid. It wasn't an intellectual thing. It was, a, it was a heart thing. It was an inner thing. It was a void within me that I knew only God could satisfy, but I was trying to fill my life with everything else other than God. But the moment came in my life where God reached out His hand again through a person just, just, just like me, speaking in a tent of all places, and he says, if you want, he said, if you want to ask Jesus Christ in, into your heart, if you want to be forgiven of all of your sins, he said, just place your trust in Jesus. You can't, you can't do anything to change yourself. You've just got to place your trust in. Do you know when, when I did that in a tent, in a field, the sudden rush, the rush of the sense of forgiveness that came into my life was incredible, incredible to be relieved, to feel clean, to feel whole, to feel embraced by God. No, I didn't see an angel, and I've never seen one. The transformation was far greater It was an inner transformation that took place within me that the Bible calls being born again. Oh, the wonderful thing to know that all of your sins are forgiven. Paul says, if you're in Christ, you are forgiven. You're forgiven, child of God. You stand without fault before God. That doesn't mean to say that we don't sin. It doesn't mean to say that we are sinless, not at all. The Bible clearly tells us, John in his epistles tells us that none of us are without sin. But when we sin, when we sin, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We're forgiven. Sixthly, Paul makes another incredible announcement in Ephesians 1 by telling us that not only are we saints, not only are we blessed, chosen, not only are we sons, not only are we forgiven, but we are heirs, heirs of an an eternal inheritance held for us in God, beyond the inconsistencies of this world, we are moving towards a world beyond this world, a kingdom that is without, fa- without fault, a kingdom that is without fail, failure, a kingdom, God's kingdom. And we are the inheritors of untold blessing in Christ Jesus. We are heirs to this in Christ It's reserved for all of our lives in God. And then finally, 
Paul rejoices as he announces that in Christ Jesus we are saved and sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise awaiting Jesus' return. Now, we just picked up on seven words there that describe our lives in Christ from Ephesians chapter 1. But Paul uses this, and I, I mentioned this week before last, Paul uses this in Christ phrase some 200 times throughout the New Testament, all to describe the incredible blessing that we have in Him. And much, much more. We are the inheritors of untold riches. The blessing that is ours in Christ Jesus can't be calculated. It can't even be estimated. Many of the apostles struggled to even put words to it. And they did the best that they could. But on many fronts, they were only just touching the tip of the iceberg. And all of this, all of this, because Jesus laid down His life for us. All of this, all of this wealth, all of this blessing, because Jesus was nailed to the cross. Because He was punished for our sins. Because He took upon Himself our iniquities. And He died and He was crucified on that cross, not as a captured criminal, but as one who laid Himself down as the eternal Lamb of God, taking upon Himself the sins of the whole world. I mean, if you were to take on the sins of just one person or just two, two people or the, the, the history, the sinful history of a, of a few lives, just imagine that, just taking on the sinful history and having it placed on your life, just one, two, three or four people put on your life. Jesus didn't just take the sinful history of a few people, Jesus took upon Himself the sinful history of the whole world, of all of mankind. And He was punished and paid in full our debt so that we might walk forever free under God's pleasure and under God's, under God's smile. And He rose from the dead, do you see? He rose from the dead to make, all, to make everything that He had done a reality in our lives. So I've titled our message today, New Life in Christ, for obvious reasons. New life in Christ. That is what you have. That is what we have. For all who are in Christ Jesus, we have new life in Christ. Him, because He died on the cross, because He rose from the grave and purchased new life for each and every one of us by His shed blood. Over this week and next week, we're going to look at just one word. 
one word that's part of this new life that we have in Him. It's a Bible word that we're going to look at over this week and next week that has rich meaning for each and every one of our lives. It's a word that describes our position before God. And I love every Easter to share this message about justification, and that's the word that we're going to look at, justified by faith. Every Easter, I love to just zone in and magnify this wonderful, rich truth for all of our lives because it gives us great confidence in what Jesus has done for each and every one of our lives as we stand before God in His presence. In a moment, we're going to read from Romans chapter 4, where we'll see how the Apostle Paul, in just one verse, captures how our new life in Christ was made possible. How was all of this made possible? How is it that we can be called saints and not sinners? How is it that we can be called blessed and not poor? How is it that we can be called chosen and not discarded? How is it that we can know complete and utter forgiveness and not feel guilty and ashamed? How is it that we are the heirs of an eternal inheritance on beyond this world? How is it? How is it that we are saved? That word sozo, saved, in the original language is an incredible word. You could spend the rest of your life trying to study the depths of that word and never get to the bottom of it. Just that word alone, saved. You're saved, redeemed. How is it possible that all of this magnificent truth is ours, a reality? How? Well, one of the reasons is because you're justified. You're justified. And we're going we're gonna to use the time that we have this morning and on into next week. And it may be a few, few more weeks. Who knows? Just to see what this word means and the impact that it has for our lives. In Romans chapter 4, Paul shows us why. Why? This is important. He shows us why Jesus died on the cross and what happened when He rose victorious over the grave and death. Listen carefully as I read to you from Romans chapter 4, verse 25, and how Paul wonderfully encapsulates everything that Jesus has done for us in His death and in His resurrection. Listen carefully. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says this, Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. I'm going to read that again in a moment. And listen carefully to these words. Because 
Paul here is making an incredible statement that all centers in what Jesus has done for us in this greatest of exchanges that's taken place. Romans 4 verse 25 says, Jesus, Jesus, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Have you ever realized that everything, listen, everything that Jesus ever did was not for Himself? It wasn't. Everything that Jesus did was for us and was for the world that God so loves. He rose from the dead. He died for us. Paul calls us to understand. He died for us. He was delivered up on that cross for our offenses. And then he even rose from the dead. Not just simply because he could. He rose from the dead for our justification. Everything that Jesus did was centered in our well-being, our future with Him in God. Oh, how God loves us. How God loves our world. How God, through His Son, Jesus, has demonstrated such unconditional love towards us while we were enemies of Him. Thousands of years before Paul wrote these words to the believers in Rome, Job struggled with this very question of justification. Job was a, a man in the Old Testament, and he wrote a book called the Book of Job. Many of us would be aware of that. And it's believed that Job, Job's book is the oldest book that was ever written in the Bible. But Job struggled with this very question of justification. In Job chapter 9, verse 2, he says, how, how can a man be justified or made righteous before God? Now, Paul tells us how, but at that point, Job was questioning and agonizing in his heart around the how a man could be justified or made righteous before God. And this question was a deeply troubling question to him because he knew that God was holy. He knew that God was just. He knew that God was perfect. And he also knew that he was totally sinful. By his experience, he knew that as he considered his own life and the lives of everyone around him, Job knew that there was no way possible of ever ridden in, ridden, ridding himself of his sinfulness. He knew by experience. He was fully aware of his 
sinful condition. He was aware of his personal failure, aware of his sinful life history. Accusations would have flooded Job's mind, bringing up guilt and shame. Job recognized that he had no means within himself to be justified or made righteous before God. It was a question that caused him pain. It was a, it was a fearful question because one day he knew that he would have to stand before God. And there seemed to be no possible solution to his sinful life, an awful predicament to be in. He had no means to change his past, who he'd been. He had no means to change his present, who he was. And Job had no means or no power to change who he was continually becoming in the future. Big problem. He knew that by his own effort, by his own work, he couldn't get, be justified or made righteous before God. Everything would have a sinful stain on it. Everything would have sin's mark. All of his efforts and all of his works just condemned him all the more before God. And all of these hopeless facts left Job with this unanswered question, this aching cry in his heart that he had no answer for. How, 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 how can a man be justified before God or made righteous before a holy God, the judge of all the earth who is perfect. In the same chapter, Job chapter 9, Job does something amazing. He, he, he cries out for a mediator. He cries out for somebody to stand in the courts of heaven to reconcile him, to speak on his behalf mercy in the face of God, the judge of all the earth. He cries, is there a mediator? You can hear it in his heart. Is there anyone that can represent me before God? Because he knew that if he ever had to stand before God based on his own track record, on his own life, the verdict over his life from the judge of all the earth would be guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. So he, he aches with a question that he can't answer. And from that agonizing question springs a cry, is there a mediator? Is there a mediator that can reconcile me? Let me read to you verses 32 to 33. The anguish of Job as he knows 
that he can't argue with God or defend himself. So he cries for a mediator. Listen to his words, Job 9, 32 to verse 33. Verse 32 says, For he, God, is not a man as I am, that I may answer him, and that we should go to court together. Nor is there any mediator between us who may lay his hand on us both. Job is in a hopeless place at this particular moment in his life because he knew full well that he could never confront God on a legal basis and argue his case for being just and being righteous. He knew that his life was sinful. He knew that through his experience of life and his sinful life history that he would be guilty as charged. He would be speechless in this court if he were to ever appear before God. And he couldn't see any way through. He didn't know that there would be a mediator to bring them together. Job was longing for someone to represent him before God, crying for someone to arbitrate and mediate, someone who could remove his guilt and condemnation as he stood in this court. Job was longing, he was longing for who Paul identifies as the mediator between man and God, Jesus Christ. That's who Job was longing for and calling out for. And Paul identifies Jesus as that mediator. Listen to Paul's words in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5 through to verse 6, where he says, verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. The man Christ Jesus, hallelujah, stands as mediator, stands as reconciler between us and God, and makes men and women one with God again. So Paul, through his words in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, and also in 1 Timothy chapter 2, answers Job's agonizing cry. And any questions that anyone might have regarding our standing now before God. We are justified. We are made righteous before God because of Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Mediator, and our Reconciler. Jesus has reconciled us to God through His flesh, through His death, the shedding of His blood on the cross, and He's risen from the grave to settle it and make it a reality before God in heaven for all of our lives. 
Let's think just for a moment a little more around this incredible word, justification, and what it exactly means for our lives. Because sometimes there's words, I don't know if you find this, but sometimes there's words in my Bible as I read it, I think, wow, that's a big word. I don't really understand why that word's being used. I don't really understand the depth of the meaning in that word. Sometimes there's big words that we pass by in our Bibles, but they're being used because there's an important rich truth for you and I to capture. There's an important rich truth for you and I to live in and be enriched by. The word justification is such a word, or justified is such a word for us. It's a word that has a world of meaning behind it. It is so rich. It is so glorious and grand. It's message of truth to each and every one of us will be such a blessing as we understand it. When Paul used this word justified, he was using a judicial term that a judge would have used in the law courts of his day. When a judge would pronounce his final verdict to acquit a person after having examined all of the evidence regarding all of the choices or all of the charges against their lives and the accusations that had been made, if there was no evidence that could stand against the person that had been accused and charged, the judge would acquit the accused of being not guilty. And he would acquit the accused with one word, justified. And that person that had been held by the charges and the accusations that had been made and labeled over their lives would be able to walk free as a result of that one word, justified. That was the word that the judge would use when all of the evidence, after all of the evidence had been examined, and if the accused had been found without fault, the judge would pronounce over them justified. And they, they would go free. They couldn't be held by the charges or the accusations that had been made against them ever again. So when Paul used this word justification in Romans 4, verse 25, he's showing us that this is what has happened for all of us, but on a far, far greater scale. Our lives, each and every one of our lives who are in Christ Jesus, have been examined. Your life has been examined already. Your life has already been judged by God. You've not been judged by a human judge in a human court, in an earthly court. No, you've been judged by the judge of all the earth. Your life has been examined by God. 
in Christ Jesus. And because you're in Christ Jesus, and He has paid the full penalty for all of your sin, on that basis, the judge of all the earth, after examining your life in Christ, has acquitted you of all guilt, of all charge, of all, all accusation, and pronounced over you justified, justified in the court of heaven. The mediator between man and God, the man Christ Jesus, has brought that blessing upon your life as a result of you being in Him. He has paid the penalty and finished the work completely for every one of us. There's no evidence remaining to accuse you. There's no evidence remaining to cause shame or to label you as guilty. The verdict has been pronounced forever in the court of heaven, justified. Later in Romans chapter 8, Paul would, would issue this question, who can bring a charge against God's elect? What was he saying? Who can bring a charge against God's people? Who can bring a charge against the saints, the blessed ones, the chosen ones, the elect ones, the forgiven ones, the predestined ones, all of the, the wonderful phrases that he used, the ones who have an internal, eternal inheritance? Who can bring a charge against them? It is Christ Jesus who has died. It is God who has justified them. And because we are justified, every accusation is silenced forever. In relation to your life, judgment has been passed. Hallelujah. And God's verdict regarding our lives has been forever made. Justification is an unchanging, it's an unchanging eternal, legal declaration. De de somebody say it for me. Go on. Declaration. Hey, there you go. It's been made. It's eternal. And God, in relation to His own character in the Old Testament, said, I'm not a man that I should lie. I change not. He doesn't vacillate between opinions. He doesn't vacillate between verdicts. He doesn't say, not guilty one day, and then, you know, when you're having a tough day and things are going not so well, he turns and inspects your life and he says, well, do you know what? That verdict I pronounced over their lives the other day, on Tuesday, not guilty. I'm having second thoughts about it now. That Edwards, he's up and down, and his emotions are here and there and everywhere, and one minute he's this, and one minute, and oh my goodness me, what are we going to do with him? That Edwards, he's just, a, he's just a walking, inconsistent. He's full of all of this and that, and he fluctuates here, and he fluctuates. No, he doesn't say that. He says, see my boy down there, Edwards? 
He doesn't even know yet. He's a son. He, he's, he's getting, he's, 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 you know, he's getting on and he's growing little by little. And his hair is too. No, but he's, he's, he's you, you know what I'm saying? He's growing little by little. But you know what? He doesn't even know what's awaiting him. This side of glory. He, he, he can't even, he, he couldn't even take it in. That Edwards, he's justified. That Edwards, yeah, he's up and down. and We know that he comes to us regularly on his knees asking to be forgiven. And gladly we, we forgive him. Gladly there's provision for all of his sin, past, present, and future. There's provision for it all. But wait till he, wait till he arrives here in glory. He doesn't even know. He doesn't even know what we have prepared for him. Justified, justified in him. That's the ground we walk on. And we'll see that a little next week. Paul wants us to understand that because Christ died for our offenses, we are justified because he was raised, you see, for our justification. Now, just as we as we're closing this morning, there's just two aspects. Did I say two? I mean 22. <laughs> Sorry about that. There's just, there's just two aspects about this legal declaration of justification that's important for us to understand. The first aspect is that when we are justified, it means that God has declared us not guilty. Just imagine that. You are declared not guilty. You are pardoned for all of your sins. The sins that you know about, that nobody else knows about. If you've placed your faith in Jesus, you are pardoned and acquitted of all guilt and pronounced innocent, free from the penalty of sin. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul points this out by saying this. Colossians chapter 2 from verse 13 to verse 15, he says, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He, Jesus, has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We could never cancel out the charges that were against us, but Jesus canceled every single charge of your sin by nailing it to the cross so that we might go free, that we might live life in full, alive to God, dead to sin, justified in His presence as if we had never sinned. That's the power of the cross. That's the power 
of this truth. In Romans chapter 3, verse 24, Paul shows us that our justification has not been earned for, has not been earned or worked, worked for by us. It's been given freely by His grace. Romans 3, 24 says, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. It's a gift. It really is. Not something we work for. Not something that any of us can merit. We just got to receive it by faith as we place our faith in Jesus. You don't get this by making God a big promise today. I promise you I will never sin again. Well, you just sinned by saying that because it's a promise you can't keep. You can't make a promise to God. God makes all of the promises to you. You just believe, receive, and you become. You become the participant of this incredible grace that He gives in, in Christ Jesus. Justified, redeemed in Christ. That means we're not guilty. I'm going to ask the musicians to come up now. We're going to finish in just a moment. We're going to go from this place, bags in hand, hallelujah, singing God's praise, just announcing the good news of Jesus Christ to our friends and our family. Tell them God loves them. Hallelujah. He's not against them. And spread the wonderful message that you received when you first heard about Christ and see people receive Him wherever you are. You're justified. That means you're not guilty. You're innocent of all charges before God, free from all shame. And if that was it, that would be more than enough. That would be more than what we deserve. But there's far, far more. Far, far more. As you look through the, the, the writings in the New Testament and you listen to the apostles, it's just mountainous. And it's a mountain that you will never summit. This blessing and the blessings that we have in Christ are so innumerable that we can't calculate them. They're unending, they're eternal. There's more. We're acquitted of guilt, we're acquitted of shame, we're acquitted of all wrongdoing. The penalty of sin has been taken away. But secondly, Paul shows us that God also declares that you are righteous. You're not, just, you're not just justified. You are justified. That means, firstly, that you're, you're acquitted of all wrong, acquitted of all guilt before God. But also, it's a declaration when you're justified that you are righteous. And we're going to get into this a little bit more next week. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Paul tells us that we have, you have, the very righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, 
Paul says this, God made Him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. You're a saint in Him. See if I can remember. You're blessed in Him. You're chosen in Him. You're forgiven. I get so excited, Lord, every time I realize. You're forgiven in Him. You're an heir in Him. You're saved in Him. You're justified in Him. You're acquitted of all guilt and shame in Him. And you're made righteous in Christ Jesus. And not just made righteous, you are given the very righteousness of God. That's who you are. Or that's part of who you are. That's part of who you are. And that's an, an, an enormous part of who you are. But there's more and more and more, and it goes on layer after layer after layer after layer. You'll never get to the bottom of who you are in Christ Jesus because He's beyond description. He's beyond anything that we've ever known, anything we've ever seen. And it'll take eternity. And then it won't be enough to discover who we are in Him. All your rights have been taken away to be ashamed. You're righteous. All your rights have been taken away to feel guilty. You're righteous. And not just righteous, you're the righteousness of God. All your rights have been taken away to look back on an old past, an old life that doesn't characterize you anymore. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. All of your rights have been taken away to make any reference in relation to your life that was in Adam. You are now in Christ. And as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, when he summarizes up life in Adam, he says this, as in Adam, all die. That's a summary, that's a truthful summary that's proved every single day that men and women walk the face of this earth. He says, as in Adam, all die. So in Christ, nobody dies. So in Christ, he says, all are made alive. You've been made alive to God. Hallelujah. You've been made alive to walk in his presence. You've been made alive to lift your head up and sing his praise. And you've been made alive to step out of time one day through death. It's just the door into the eternal presence of God himself and stand there before his throne presented by Jesus Christ faultless forever. Why? Because you're justified and the judge of all of the earth has acquitted you of all wrongdoing from this sinful earthly experience that we've had because it's been nailed to the cross. And Jesus Christ has paid in full for our debt, a debt that he did not owe, a debt we could not pay. He canceled out forever in one word when he said, finished.
finished. Hallelujah. Finished. He said, finished to the devil. He said, finished to the grave. He said, finished to death. As he opened wonderful brand new life for anyone that would place, listen, just simple trust and faith. Oh, what a believing heart can do when it places its trust and faith in Jesus Christ. What a transformation. It literally is going from death to life, from darkness to light, from poverty to riches. He, he became poor so that we might become rich. And oh, how we have become rich, friends, in Him. Amen. Come on, let's stand this morning and give Him praise. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just give Him praise. Let's give Him a shout of praise that is worthy of His name. We give you praise, Jesus. We give you praise. Come on, applaud Him, shout. Don't be shy in His presence. He's your Savior. He's your Deliverer. He's the one that died for you, rose again for you, so that you might stand before Him faultless, before His throne. Father, we thank you this morning as your people. We thank you. We would never dare say any of this, so your word says it for us. Hallelujah. We are saints. We are saints. We are not sinners. We are blessed. We are not Hallelujah. We are chosen. We are not those who are forgotten or abandoned. We are chosen and loved by you. We are forgiven. We get so excited, Lord, every time we realize that we are forgiven. We are forgiven. We're not guilty. We're not ashamed. We stand in your presence forgiven. We thank you this morning that, Lord, we are heirs of an eternal inheritance that this side of time we can't fully understand, but it awaits us. It's secure, and we are sealed and saved by the Holy Ghost. And one day, as the heavens part, we, Lord, will see you face to face. And when we see you, we will be like you, and we rejoice in it. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Now, are you ready to sing? Are you ready after, after we sing, are you ready to take your bags and go into your world and announce the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I tell you what wonderful news we have in our hearts. Amen.